Hey, welcome to Conversations with Ben Dixon, where we discuss important topics through a biblical lens. So glad that you could join us today. Remember, you can always watch this on YouTube, and you can download the audio on Spotify or iTunes. If you forget that, just go to conversationswithbendixon.com. We would love that if you would subscribe and also share this. And if you have some time, please do review this on iTunes or any other platform because it helps other people to join the conversation. Today, I have my very good friend, Pastor Trevor Loya with me. So Trevor, how are you doing? Doing good. Glad to be here. Okay. If you're not doing good, <laughs> you just need to do good. Anyhow. <laughs> oh man, I received that word. That's a, We're starting in a good place. So Trevor's here. And I want to tell you, Trevor's actually going to co-pilot the next several conversations because I think that we need to cultivate a conversation that is going to stretch into multiple mm-hmm. uh, different conversations themselves. And we want, we want to start here talking about the Word of Faith movement, the Word of Faith movement. So if you don't know what the Word of Faith movement is, then you're going to learn a lot. This will be very educational. If you do know what it is, maybe you're even influenced by it, or perhaps you're saying some things that have a touch of word of faith on it. Right. I hope that we'll gain discernment today. That would be the goal. And uh, and so I'm really looking forward to having this. And again, the next several conversations that me and Trevor are going to have will not be about the word of faith movement, but this conversation is going to bleed into those. And it's why we're starting here. We think it's kind of a foundation for us to have these other uh, very important conversations about prophecy, the prophetic, um, the the, Pen- uh, the Pentecostal church, charismatic church, um, how God's speaks, how to have discernment, mm-hmm. all that kind of stuff we think is sort of rooted somewhere into this particular conversation or this one influences it. So make sure to stay tuned because we're going to stretch this one into many, many uh, others. So, hey, I'm just going to go ahead and not only intro our topic, but let me just go ahead and define what the Word of Faith movement is, particularly for those of you that either haven't brushed up on this for a long time, don't care about it, or have no idea what it is. The Word of Faith movement is not a denomination. It's not a network of churches. Essentially, it's like a very diverse, popular subculture in Christendom. And there are many of these, like the Reformed movement or whatever. There's sort of uh, movements within Christianity that are not denominations. There's no affiliation. There's no network of churches to subscribe to and pay dues to. And so therefore, it's hard to kind of identify a church that says, I'm word of faith. Most churches don't say they're word of faith. And so when we talk about it, we're saying like, word of faith has like a collection of teachings that goes back to like the late 1800s that have been influencing popular teachers for a very long time. And it's infiltrated many, many churches, many uh, popular teachers on Christian television. And by the way, a lot of Pentecostal and charismatic churches have picked up some of the language, the lingo, and the teachings. And you may otherwise have heard about the Word of Faith movement as the prosperity gospel, the health, wealth gospel. When it's criticized and or made fun of, you might hear blab it, grab it, name it, (laughs) claim it. Uh, Those are sort of the critiques uh, and or maybe mocking uh, words that kind of come against it. And just sort of up front, I'm in disagreement with the Word of Faith movement, uh, even as a Pentecostal charismatic. And that's why this conversation is actually really going uh, to matter. The Word of Faith movement is characterized by teachings 
that basically or essentially say, God wants you to be healthy, wealthy, and happy. And that's even to the exclusion or or to the exclusion of biblical doctrine and truth that we don't love or necessarily like, but it's a part of spiritual life, things like persecution and suffering and dying to self. So they're going to exclude a lot of those types of teachings uh, because God's all about your health, God's all about your wealth, God's all about your happiness. And so conveniently, we're going to sideline these other teachings, these other thoughts, this other theology, because this takes is front and center and takes precedence over all that, which makes it erroneous and often very heretical. And so we want to definitely separate ourselves from that, give discernment for that, because this brand of teaching, even in bite-sized forms, has infiltrated far too many people and churches for us to just not talk about it. But Trevor, what I want to do, as we've just defined what we're talking about, is I want to just bring up why this conversation uh, matters. And the first one is this, and I think we can even just talk about these. Yeah. The first one is we are charismatic Pentecostal Christians. Not only that, but we're charismatic Pentecostal pastors, and that means that we believe in the baptism with the Holy Spirit as a subsequent experience. It can happen synonymously mm-hmm. with uh, a born-again experience, but we believe that the baptism of the Holy Spirit is not being regenerated or being saved. We believe it's being filled with God's power, and what accompanies that is the gifts of the Holy Spirit. We believe in all the gifts of the mm-hmm. Holy Spirit, all the power of the Holy Spirit, that God wants to still do what we see in the life of Jesus, the life of the apostles, and also throughout church history. We believe those things, and and so people who are word of faith also would consider themselves Pentecostal charismatic Christians. And since we are that, what we're uh, it makes it very important for us to discern and have a conversation about this particular doctrine and teaching that might find its way into the camp that we're a part of. And, and we want to separate ourselves from it because people could assume that we believe some of these mm-hmm. things when we in fact don't. And charismatics are notorious for not discerning their own camp, and we don't want to leave it to uh, another. So this deeply matters to us, and we want to have more discernment than even the critics that are outside of the Pentecostal camp itself. So I would say this is something that has affected the Pentecostal church, but it should not define the Pentecostal charismatic church. You agree with that? Oh, absolutely. I think that as a charismatic Pentecostal we have to we have to differentiate, and we have to walk through. I mean, especially as pastors, we have walked through too many situations where we've seen that um, we just can't believe things away. You know, like because the central point of the whole world of faith movement is don't allow any sort of negative thought or or talk mm-hmm. or doubt in because it will actually disrupt this connection or this miraculous stream between us and God or whatever, you know? And if we have one, it disrupts it all. And like, oh man. So I've prayed for somebody one time and they're like, I believe God, I believe God, I believe. I'm like, I know he heard you the first time. It's okay, (laughs) you know? Like we all believe and there's probably some unbelief too. I don't even know, but we we generally believe here and that's good enough for the father, you know? But like this work to like, you know, so it seeps in and so we need to differentiate. So we just know 
um, how to look at scriptures, how to practice then the gifts and believe in the supernatural workings of God in the life of a believer and in the life of the community of believers. And so then we have parameters mm -hmm. and help and structure and order. And, and we see what the word of God is actually telling us uh, as we lead the charge. Mm -hmm. And we just see how far some of these teachers in this movement have gone mm -hmm. that has actually hindered people, our, our voices, and hindered the entirety of Pentecostalism. Mm -hmm. Pentecostalism is known for being uneducated and not reasonable and wild. And, yeah, ecstatic, you know, like we don't have a, we don't have a box of snakes in the corner of this room that we're going to pull out and play, you know, like, hey, let's, mm -hmm. we're not, we're not weird, you yeah, know, right. but we do believe in the power of God. And right. we do believe when, when, you know, um, that in the resurrection power. Right. And so we need to differentiate. We need to make clear lines between where they are mm -hmm. and where we are. So, yeah. 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 And I think I, you know, the jealousy is not the right word, mm -hmm. but I have, uh, or agenda. I don't, I do have an agenda in a sense that, I am not okay with um, what happens in this movement and how it's infiltrated into churches that I would deem, you know, having good uh, theology, mm -hmm. uh, you know, have an orthodox Christianity uh, and a good practice of the Holy Spirit. But there are just a lot of other things that kind of flow under the radar. Mm -hmm. And I think so many people probably judge the Pentecostal charismatic church um, unnecessarily mm -hmm. because of the things that mm -hmm. are not discerned right. and dealt with. And I think that the charismatic church could do a better job yeah. and must do a better job discerning their own family. Mm -hmm. Otherwise, we're going to have critics from the outside. And that's difficult because when you have critics who come from a different theology, they already think that you're heretics. They already think that you're wrong and you have erroneous abhorrent teachings. And so they're going to say what they're going to say. And, and you're, not, you're not sure, is this just because you differ with us theologically, or is it because you're taking very seriously these weird things that mm -hmm. a sideline or a side group of people mm -hmm. are actually doing, but they don't represent all of us. So I do have an agenda to purify right. anybody's thinking on the charismatic Pentecostal church. And that doesn't mean, by the way, that I think Pentecostals and charismatics are better. I have lots of reform friends. Right. I have lots of mainline denomination friends. Mm -hmm. I'm all good with that. My point is, is that we need to discern our own. So yeah, and I would just say, I would, add, I would add to this, just to balance, we, we're not ones to go on YouTube and find the internet critique guy yeah. who tells who just finds the new message and just blasts every mainline, you know, But if we did that, the podcast would go further. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So maybe that's the corner we to, we're taking. We have know? to recognize that. Yeah. Like literally, if we just do cultural stuff or if we, uh, we just become critics, if we become critics, we know everybody loves the negative we, stuff. Yeah, we do. But we want to impart a heart of discernment. Yep. We want to grow mature disciples. We want to be mature. We want to be humble where we're wrong. We want to be available to what God says, but we are people that want to follow the word of God as mm -hmm. Pentecostals because it matters. Right. So, right. So we're trying to reclaim something here. Yeah. The second thing or second reason why this matters is the word of faith movement is destructive ha mm -hmm. and has influenced uh, many churches. It's far and wide, right? So 
If you don't know this, there, there are buzzwords, there are keywords, there are principles that maybe don't represent the fullness of theology, but they certainly come out like in prayer meetings and mm-hmm. in the practice of prophecy and spiritual gifts, which is the later conversations we're going to have in this podcast. And so we've got to kind of go back to the root system mm-hmm. and see how just far and wide this has, uh, this has gone. So there's definitions and descriptions that we want to bring out today. The third reason why this matters is there are many critics of the Word of Faith movement. Mm-hmm. I can name a few. Uh, John MacArthur is one of them. He has Strange Fire conferences. He has a Strange Fire book. Um, I can understand why people, of course, want to want to not only label this, but they want to call it what it is. Some mm-hmm. of it is just plain out heresy. Mm-hmm. Some of it is just unbiblical and mm-hmm. it's it's wrong. I wouldn't go as far as saying heresy, like you're going to be a heretic if mm-hmm. you believe certain aspects of this. But then there are other parts of this where you it is heretical. I mean, mm-hmm. it's full-blown heresy. And so we want to dissect that a bit. And we don't want to let somebody who's a cessationist, doesn't believe in the fullness of the Spirit, Mm -hmm. totally disagrees with the baptism of the Holy Mm -hmm. Spirit, or people that are from another camp who clearly don't agree with anything that a Pentecostal is going to believe, and they swap or they swath all Pentecostal charismatics Mm -hmm. under the prosperity gospel, under the health and wealth gospel. So John MacArthur... Hank Hanegraaff, all you other people who, uh, you know, Costi Hinn, whoever these people are, uh, the movie called The American Gospel, mm-hmm. those are not filters for properly judging Pentecostal charismatic right. churches. And the reason is, is because you already come from a different camp. So of course you're going to disagree with everything. And it's convenient mm-hmm. to put everybody under the prosperity gospel because right. you think we're all believing the same things. And it's not true. If we do want to accept a critique from those individuals, we could say that in some churches, what they're saying is true. true. And Mm -hmm. so we need to be fair. And that's why we're doing this today. We're going to judge our own camp and separate ourselves from uh, from some of the things that we think are absolutely erroneous. And the fourth one, and you can speak to this, Trevor, the teachings of this movement have created superficial Christians. Oh, is that true? I think it's so true. And beyond- Are you a superficial Christian? Well, keep going. I don't Sorry. Think so. <laughs> Lord help us. Help me, Lord. I think it's so widespread and so I I mean, you know, we talk about the American gospel, we talk about nationalism, all these big buzzwords to talk about superficial Christianity or not kingdom um Christianity. Yeah. And this is definitely one of the major ways people um get influenced into a superficial Christianity. Right. So you have the health and wealth part where when we look at the scriptures, we only see me rather than what we're called to do, what we're called to suffer, what we're called to persevere through, how we're supposed to be a part of a body. So every message when you turn on TBN is always about how you have a better life tomorrow right. if you believe it, right. you know, or whatever. I don't know, like right. just plant seeds today and they'll say these great things, which I can, I, I can understand People need encouragement. People turn on TV. They want to go to church and they want to hear something encouraging, right. life-giving. Right. Don't beat don't, me up. Yeah. And there's churches that do the the opposite. Right. And, um, you're and a dirty week, dog. You're a sinner. You're yeah, terrible. Get, you you got unsaved between last Sunday and this yeah, Sunday. So yeah. get God saved barely, again. God barely likes you, but he's obligated yeah. because he is so, love. So right? I'm somewhere in the middle there. <laughs> you know, I do. If I ever read a book, the first one's going to be called You're Not That Important. I think it's, just, uh, you know, <laughs> no, I'm kidding. <laughs> but like- we, we have to be 
No, uh, God's better than you. <laughs> God's better than you. <laughs> That'd be <Yeah>. my next <laughs> book. <laughs> we can just go on. God's yeah. better than you. My second book is God's bigger than you. Yeah. My third is God's smarter than you. Yeah. And he actually, you were second <laughs> the whole pick. series. First yeah. chapter, you yeah. were second I, pick. I want to be a 21st. Yeah. Se- I, yeah. I want to be a 2022 C.S. Lewis. <laughs> it's just going to be really, really simple. <laughs> but, you know, oh gosh. But you know, these super words, it's always about me. You're not considering mm. like Jesus gave his life as a servant to all. Mm. He has called his people to model him in being a servant to all. And yes, we come to him with our needs. God, you are provider. Yes, you are healer. Yes, you can do that. And we believe in the immediacy of his provision and his healing power. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. We don't, we're going to pray like that. We're going to believe like that. But we also give God the ability to be God. And it's not always about us. And we're not the only ones he cares about. He actually cares about mostly his mission and kingdom being planted and established on this earth through his believers. And so if that means persecution, he said, blessed are those who are persecuted. Yeah. You know, so so there's, that's why we see, if, if we stay just where they are, it stays superficial. Mm-hmm. We need greater depth. We need it to go take take its roots deeper in us. Right. And, um, and so if we just stay in that me, what is it, what, what does this message need how does it make me feel better? How does it make me believe more that God wants to give me more? You know, it's always about me. We're going to grow in greater pride and arrogance, and we're going to be what everyone hates the American church to be, mm-hmm. arrogant people mm-hmm. who aren't humble before their God, mm-hmm. you know? So, yeah. Yeah, see- seeking to serve others. And so we're going to kick that conversation actually to the end where we talk about the bad fruit that right, comes right, out of this. Right. So l- let me give yeah. it like a little bit of an education, okay? So this is just, you know, inch deep research. And of course, on the side, I enjoy reading books. I enjoy researching things like this because I want to know where it comes from so yeah. that I can say uh, things that are uh, sourced properly. Anyways, who in the world came up with this? That's the question, right? <laughs> who are the founders? Yeah. Who are the yeah, well-known teachers? Ben, who are you talking about? Well, friend, I'm so glad that you asked because (laughs) I can see you behind the camera. I know you're on the other end listening to me today. Thank you so much for tuning in. But let me tell you, first of all, if you're going to do a little bit of research about the Word of Faith movement, you're going to find a guy named Phineas Parkhurst Quimby. Isn't that quite a name? That is a name. That is a name. We're talking, he's alive between 1802 and 1866. This is a century before the faith movement really started. Some call him the father of new thought. He popularized the notion that sickness and suffering have their own origin in wrong thinking. Now, just go there with me for a second. Sickness and suffering, and let's let's call it poverty, have, have their root system in wrong thinking. In other words, if you think the right thoughts, you will have the manifestation of that which you think. He started down this road. He had metaphysical teachings. He had positive affirmation teachings, which is what we're going to find in the popular uh, modern word of faith movement. And so he had this idea that if you visualize health and wealth, and all you have to do is affirm it and confess it with your words, Mm -hmm. and it will manifest. Now, 
There's a man named E.W. Kenyon, Essex William Kenyon, who was alive 1867 and 1948. He picked up these teachings. He's actually credited as the father of the modern Mm -hmm. faith movement today through Kenneth Hagin. So he was really impacted by Quimby's teaching. He picked that up and he brought it another step farther. He has books like Speak Life, The Power of Your Words. Now, E.W. Kenyon, I, I, I've been given some of his books. I read a few of his books because they were given to me early on um, by, by some individuals. There's some stuff that he says and believes that's true. And that's, that's again, half truths mm-hmm. are still lies. And so I haven't full, fully researched E.W. Kenyon. I don't know everything that he believed, mm-hmm. but I can tell you that he's popularized statements like what I confess, I possess. Literally, that is a statement that he says. Mm. And then another person who is mostly referenced today, Kenneth Hagin from mm-hmm. 1917 to 2003, he died you know, about 20 years ago. Mm-hmm. Uh, most pastors were introduced to the Word of Faith movement through Kenneth Hagin. And he took E.W. Kenyon's work that much farther. He was the pastor of Rhema Bible Church and Training College and also the Word of Faith publication. When I was in prison ministry, I would see the Word of Faith publication. Now, I've been, the little research that I did, I was I was seeing that the Word of Faith publication is in all major prisons in America. Mm-hmm. And there's like 200, they go out every two months. They go 200,000, quarter of a million of these magazines go out. That's not the online ones. That's actual physical mm-hmm. copies. Online, it could be another million. So this is very widespread, well-known. Kenneth Hagin impacted virtually every person that teaches the word of faith. Mm-hmm. They're oh, going yeah. to talk about him. So he's one of his, if you go online, you go on YouTube, you're going to find teachings on him. One of the popular ones is you can have what you say. Now, does that sound familiar? What you uh, speak life, the power of your words, what I confess I possess, that's E.W. Kenyon. Now here's Kenneth Hagin saying, you can have what you say. It's, see, it sounds a little bit different, but it goes all the way back to this guy, Quimby. And so this is the history of it. Now we have people like Ken and Gloria Copeland, Benny Hinn, Fred Price, Robert Tilton, Mar- Marilyn Hickey, Oral Roberts, and even Joel Osteen. Now, I have to say, there's a spectrum when it comes to the Word of Faith movement because right. this isn't like some association or some mm-hmm. secret group that people have a handshake and they pay dues to. Right. It's an influenced teaching that has gone throughout the Pentecostal charismatic body of Christ. Some people have been touched by it more. Some people espouse it more. Some people believe it more. And so it's very difficult to just say, hey, Joel Osteen is a Word of Faith preacher in every way, shape, and form. I don't know that he fully is, but he does say things that are Word of Faith, which is why I personally do not listen to a person like Joel Osteen. Now, But he he has great hair. Do I think he has great hair? Yes. Looks like a helmet. Don't know how it happens. (laughs) Uh, does he have a great smile? He does. Yeah. Does he say some things that are right and true? Yes. Are some people not going to like the fact that I bring him up? Of course. Sure. He has the largest church in America, but he says things that simply are not true. And mm-hmm. that is part of the problem with Pentecostal and charismatic churches is they're unwilling to identify when this influence of word of faith mm-hmm. is affecting the teaching of a person that mm-hmm. is on television, that is popular on social media, and that everyone seems to like. It seems that if you smile or if you say the right quip or the right quote and people think well of you, that you shouldn't be discerned. No, friends, I, you, Joel Osteen, and everybody else needs to be discerned. Our right. words need to be weighed by the Bible. And I don't care what family of Christianity you're a part of, that's the truth for all of us, whether you're Reformed, Charismatic, Pentecostal, or whatever. If you have wrong thoughts, if you have wrong theology, then you need to be discerned and it needs mm-hmm. to be discussed. And the only reason I'm bringing him up is because so many people would know him. Now, is he the same as Kenneth Copeland? 
No, mm-hmm. Kenneth Copeland's a guy that is quoted for saying crazy, crazy stuff. Here's what Kenneth Copeland said. For example, I know you want to know this. Kenneth Copeland said, you're all God. You don't have a God living in you. You are one. This is a quote. If you're interested, email me. I'll send it to you. When I read the Bible, he says, where God tells Moses, I am, I say, yeah, I am too. (laughs) Now, if you're listening to me and you watch or listen to or buy any books by Kenneth Copeland, my question is why? Okay. When somebody says something like this, I'm not I don't just have God living in me. I am one. And he uses the yeah. teaching from the book of John where Jesus uses, has, has an obscure language about your little gods, Elohim. This is a reference back to the Old Testament in the book of Psalms, and it's easily explained. This word could be used as rulers. It was mm-hmm. probably improperly translated. It certainly is misunderstood. But he wasn't talking about we are little gods. Right. That's actually a Mormon doctrine, by the way. We won't go into that today, but I don't listen to people <laughs> like this. I'm a Pentecostal, charismatic Christian, and mm-hmm. whenever I hear people espouse the word of faith doctrine, I turn it off, I tune it out, I don't listen to it, I don't buy their book, I'm not mm-hmm. interested in it. I don't care how great their hair is, I don't care how great their smile is, I don't care how much <laughs> Trevor loves them. It doesn't matter where you come from, who you are, what you say you believe. When you begin to teach things that are heretical, erroneous, or abhorrent, we turn it off. How do we know that it's wrong? How do we have discernment? Well, we start with the Bible. We start with the Bible and we stay with the Bible. That's what we do. Start with the Bible and stay with the Bible. We don't lose our head. We don't enter into emotionalism. Even though we believe in the fullness of the Spirit, people that say they do, do not automatically have our ear, our attention, or our heart. It's the Bible. And if you're wondering if Ben is holding back, he is not. Am I? (laughs) No. Do I I ever hold back? Is there occasional discretion? No, I don't think so. All right. Well, at least today what you have learned is I'm not word of faith, and I don't appreciate it. And because it maligns what it is that we really believe. There's so much good uh, that Pentecostal Christianity has added to the body of Christ. Um, we, I don't say I'm Pentecostal because it's a badge of honor. It's just a distinction. It's just a right. distinction. The church is a family of families. So mm-hmm. there are many of us, some have different traditions mm-hmm. that are not wrong, bad, or heretical. And there's a tolerance or an acceptance in the body of Christ for diversity. I'm just stating for the record, I'm done and I'm tired of people who espouse these things ruining it for other people because they are being labeled as a part of the camp that I'm a part of. And all they're doing is maligning the rest of us and they do not deserve that place. So we've got to call it what it is. So no, we cannot hold back today, Trevor. We're not going to, but there's so many well-known people that espouse these things, some more than others. For example, Kenneth Copeland is going to be on the extreme end, right? Because he's highly influenced by Kenneth Hagin. And you're going to hear horrible things like I just quoted. Joel Osteen is going to be Word of Faith Light. And so he's going to say probably things that are more true to the Bible, or he's more of an encourager than he is a Bible teacher. So I'm not going to write off Joel Osteen in, in, in his entirety. I don't listen to him. I don't know everything he says, so I can't actually right. say. But to be honest with you, because somebody is a little bit influenced by the Word of Faith or a lot influenced by the Word of Faith, I just don't listen to him for that reason. Right. I want to listen to people who are teaching the Bible as mm-hmm. accurately as possible. Mm-hmm. That's what it says in the book of Timothy. Paul says, study to show yourself approved, a workman unto God who does not need to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. Mm -hmm. And that means that sometimes the Bible says things that I really like, and sometimes the Bible says things that are really hard, but they're all good. Right. 
They're all good. No matter what the Bible says, it's all good. And the only way you can understand it is to go deeper in it. But there is a seduction out there from teaching that says what itching ears want to hear. Everybody wants to hear you can be wealthy, you can be healthy, and you can be happy. Everybody wants to believe that no, that we're all going to have great success. Everybody wants to believe that we're going to be the best person in the world, the most awesome, the most amazing, the best looking. Of course, it's just not true, okay? Right, right. It's just not true. And we shouldn't care. Right. Our lot in life is to glorify Jesus in whatever way that he calls us to. That's it. Yeah. That's it. That's yeah. all that, that, that it's about. Well, let me jump into this because I, wa- I want to include you in the conversation, Trevor. I like so, listening. Yeah. Uh, sometimes I bring people on just to just, say amen. Yeah. Yeah. That's it. That's all Actually, if I, I could preach, I haven't said that yet, but yeah, amen. I mean, I mean, I mean, I mean, amen. That's what I mean. <laughs> I want to hire an amen crowd. <laughs> yeah. No, I don't. That's yeah. That's, that's actually, actually called. Never mind. It's called word, word of faith. I it's, think it's yeah. It's the word of clap. It's all right. So, <laughs> anyhow, what are the distinct doctrines of the word of faith movement? Number one, faith is a force. What are we talking about? What are they talking about when they think of faith as a force? What do we mean? Yeah, we, your faith, you, the production of your faith, or your faith can produce life. So it's really like, like if you, it's Deepak Chopra with Christian language, <laughs> you know, it's like believing your belief can bring up things into existence. And so- I can um, only think of Deepak Chopra on, <laughs> on Oprah. <laughs> when you say Chopra and Oprah, they just go, it was just- I know, I want to do the voice, but I'm not going to do it. No, please don't. Yeah, That's yeah. not good. Um <laughs> So, it. yeah, right. There's a, there's a, but, but faith is, you know, faith is a substance that, that grows, you know, he's the author and perfecter of our faith, mm-hmm. Hebrews says. So he's, he's always perfecting our faith as we follow him. The more we see him come through, the more our faith is strengthened. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and the more we trust him, the more we'll trust him. It just grows and it, and he's perfecting it and he's the one that perfects it. But there's this, there's this, um, distinctive that our faith, uh, needs to produce something that is like uh, th- th- almost without God, you know, like as it, like you're saying, as if we or, were God, or even as God. Yeah, as God. Have you ever heard people actually say? So there are two things that I think of when I think this teaching faith is a is like a force. Yeah. Number one, it seems to be rooted in the Holy Spirit as a force, not a person. So, right. so there's almost like a mm-hmm. weird connection there. But the first thing is, is that you can have the faith of God. I've actually mm-hmm. heard people say mm-hmm. this. Usually they get it from, I think it's the passage in, um, is it, it's Galatians uh, chapter two. And it talks about, you can have the faith of the son of God. Mm-hmm. And it's just a woeful inter- misinterpretation. I can't even believe it. But I've heard people say this and it actually comes from the word of faith. Whenever you hear people say, you can have the faith of the son of God, not just faith in the son of God. The, the Bible does not teach this. I challenge you to find it. It is it is not a teaching that we should believe. So the mm-hmm. faith of God. Anytime somebody says that, so by faith, by the faith of the Son of God, Philippians or sorry, Philippians chapter two, Galatians chapter two and verse twenty. Check it out. They think that's what it says, and so people will espouse this in their teaching. Mm-hmm. You can have the faith of God. Mm-hmm. You can mm-hmm. have the faith of God. In fact, you should because. You're made in his image. You're made in his likeness. God created you to be like him. You're a co-creator with God. Faith is a force. God has faith. That's how he spoke things into existence. And because God spoke things into existence and you're a co-creator with God, made Mm -hmm. in his image and likeness, of course, there's, you know, they almost say it to the extent where you, there's no limitation. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, you are God. How do you not make that? 
Yeah. Do we want to believe like Jesus for healing? Like we, he modeled for us. Yes, but we don't become God in those moments. We are submitted to him. And that's the big difference. That is a big difference. So I've got a pet peeve on this one. Faith Mm -hmm. is a force. Um, One time when this was like two years after I became a Christian, there was a guy that sat down with me, he took me out to dinner and he was talking to me about this like very mysterious secretive doctrine that nobody else knew, of course, but him. Uh, I'm a little, I'm exaggerating a little bit, but it was very much like that. So we're sitting at dinner and the guy begins to talk about Romans chapter four and verse 16. I did not know that this was a popular word of faith doctrine. I didn't even know this guy was influenced by the word of faith, but he was. Mm -hmm. And so he starts to talk to me about how we have the power, faith is a force. We have the power to call things into existence. God was a creator. He spoke things into existence. We, as we're redeemed in Christ, right? That's the key because we lost this place of co-creating with God, made in his image and likeness. We lost that through sin, but in Christ, we're redeemed back to this place where we're co-creators with God and we, like God, speak things into existence. And in my mind, even two years as a Christian, I'm, say, I'm saying, well, what you're saying is crazy. And he's like, no, but it says it in the Bible. And I said, where? And he says, I'm glad you asked. Here's where it says it to him. I don't believe this. This is what he said. Romans 4, 16. Let me read it to you. You have to hear this. And so this is Paul talking to the Roman church. He said, for this reason, it is by faith. He's talking about Abraham. It is by faith in order that it may be in accordance with grace so that the promise will be guaranteed to all descendants, not only those who are of the law, but also to those who are of the faith of Abraham. Now, remember, Abraham is the father of many nations, right? So the, the faith of Abraham, it was credited unto him as righteousness that he believed God, all right? So it's ta- when Abraham's brought up in these contexts, it's always talking about justification, but they think of it differently. So he says, Abraham, who is the father of us all, as it is written, a father of many nations, have I made you in the presence of him, of God, whom he believed. He got even God who gives life to the dead and calls into being that which does not exist. For some reason, okay, as you can see, like him in the presence of God, whom he, Abraham believed, even God who gives life to the dead and calls into being that which does not exist. It's talking about God, the God that Abraham believed was able to call things into existence that did not exist previously. Yeah. They misinterpret that to say that we are like God and can call things into existence like him. And that's what Abraham did. First of all, Abraham never did that. I mean, that would just be a, a way to, to, prove, to prove this text, okay? Okay. Second of all, it's not even what it says. The grammar is, you know, Paul's always a little wordy. He's the biggest run-on sentence person mm-hmm. grammatically I think I've ever met. But of course, <laughs> it's, it's translated from Greek to English. So you're going to have some of these hiccups along the way when it comes to grammar. But when you just plainly read it, it is not what it says, right? So these people believe this. Again, you can co-create with God. If you speak it, then you can bring it to pass. You're like God who... When things don't exist, he calls you call things into existence as though they were. So if you see them and you speak them, they come into existence. Trevor, can we just say that's crazy? Yeah, we should, we should just, we could try it. Man, I need a nitro cold brew. Didn't happen, you know? Should we wait? We could wait, you know? Right. See, no, like we're kind of joking and that <laughs> sounds like mocking, but like literally that's how bad it is. <laughs> it is. Right? So that leads us to the second part, which is positive confession. <laughs> Yes. Faith is a force. And so how do you how do you get what you want, right? Yeah. How do you get what you say, as Kenneth Hagin says? Like, mm-hmm. how do you call things into existence as so, so they were? Well, it's through positive confession. Your words 
have power. Proverbs 18, 21 says death and life are in the power of the tongue Mm -hmm. because that's what Solomon meant when he wrote that, right? Death and life are in the power of the tongue. So don't speak death, only speak life. Now, is there a half truth here? Yeah, of course. Like, do you just want to speak negatively all the time? Do you just want to navel gaze and stare at yourself and woe is me Mm -hmm. and I'm a Mm -hmm. terrible person and I'm horrible? There's self-fulfilling prophecies when it it comes to Yeah, I mean, is is that negative speech and negative speak and your internal narrative, is all of that important? Right. They take this so far to the point where it's like you literally like you could say I'm a monkey's uncle and you must be a monkey's uncle. Yeah, you will conform to that. You image. will start swinging on trees. <clears throat> so <laughs> that's how far that this goes. How when we talk about positive confession, okay, mm-hmm. we've seen this manifest in church, and I think mm-hmm. those that are with us today ha- have as well. But we want to talk. I want to park here for a while and talk about how far positive confession actually goes. What have you seen where you see people that kind of believe this narrative? Well, I think you you say something, I've said things, and they go, well, don't speak that over me. I'm like, well, I'm not speaking it over you. I'm speaking it to, to you. you. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I'm not like, I'm not making a declarative faith statement that says, this is how it is. I'm, I declare. I'm just making a comment. It's almost like any critique. There's, there's a lot of times that I've brought critique and critique's helpful. Being critical of heart is another step of being a, having a critique of something. Being honest. Yes. Yeah, reality. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> exactly. And, uh, and, and we, we, I find that people <clears throat> don't accept it mm-hmm. because in nature it sounds negative, not filled with faith, not believing for breakthrough. And you're like, no, like sometimes like we have to help people. We're praying for life. We're praying for the person who needs a miracle, but we need to prepare families for the potential of not a miracle mm-hmm. if there's a terminal sickness, mm-hmm. you know? And that doesn't mean we don't have faith. Mm-hmm. It actually means we really do trust God that whether healing can happen or if, if death does happen, we can, um, we can trust his goodness. He's mm-hmm. still good. It doesn't malign his character. Mm-hmm. And so positive, positive confession is... We were if we reduce faith to that, mm-hmm. that is just like it's the worst thing, you know. So death and life, right? So I, I think we can speak, we can encourage people. Like on the other hand, if I just exasperate my son and my my daughters and I constantly berate them with everything they're doing negative, is it going to affect their life? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yep. But um, but it's not every word I say, negative, critique wise, or positive, is a curse or a blessing that is like generationally bound to their soul either. You know. Well, doesn't it? I mean, part of that's because the assumption is you're framing things up in either positive or negative. Right. But there's a whole lot of in between. Right. And well, let's just call that reality. <laughs> okay. So yeah. like you know, hey, I don't feel yeah. good today. Right. Well, don't speak that. Don't speak that yeah, over yeah, you. Yeah. Like, hey, I had this really terrible dream, and I felt like I was kind of tormented. Hey, don't speak that over you. Right. No, no, but it really happened. That's called reality land. That's not negative right. land. Like, if I say something to somebody where it's helpful, it's like, hey, we could do better than that. Yeah, I mean, a person can go too far, but that's not what Proverbs eighteen twenty one is no. talking about. It's saying no. It's it, this is death and life. Think about death. What is death? Somebody actually dies. I mean, this is that's an extreme. It's not where somebody's sick. It's not where somebody's not feeling good. Death and life is in the power of the tongue. So we want to speak things that are life giving. Want to speak things that are encouraging. But it isn't to the extent of reality it, or to the exclusion of it. And that's how far these uh, folks will actually uh, will actually go. And a lot of times you'll hear it like declaration. 
So I have a quote here from Joel Osteen. I was just kind of perusing some of the stuff. And since he's one of the most popular teachers out there, he says this, it's time to use our words to declare good things. Speak blessings over your life and your family throughout the day. Say things like, I have the favor of God. I am strong and healthy. I'm well able to do what I need to do. Now, is that fully wrong? No. But if you're not going to teach people a solid way of life, of owning some things in our life that got us to bad places, forgiving things, rooting out bitterness, um, asking God to help you. There's this idea that if you don't just like declare it over yourself, that it's weakness. Mm-hmm. And that's not true at all. Like when you have a relationship, like with a spouse or a friend, you can be honest. And that's where you say, hey, can you pray for me about this? In your weakness, God's strength can manifest itself. But a lot of times what people do is they won't own where mm-hmm. they are. And if you can't own where you are, you can't grow beyond it. Right. And so this idea of positive confession is to often overlook where you are and what you are, and to just sort of declare over yourself and over your situation um, everything but that. Instead, I think a lot of times we need to teach people to own what got them to where they are Mm -hmm. so that they can give it over to the Mm -hmm. Lord, ask Him to help them grow, show show God our weakness. He already sees it, but give it to Him and then say, Lord, I might be weak in this, but you're strong. And I thank you that the Holy Spirit lives in me and you're helping me take these steps. I mean, that to me is just a more mature Mm -hmm. path for the believer. And this positive confession idea often what it will equate to is a lack of reality. Mm-hmm. A, a, and sometimes in a, in a kind of undergirding this arrogant position of like, I will not submit myself to weakness, when in fact, you actually need to oftentimes reveal your weakness because mm-hmm. that's what leads you to a place of intercession. Right. I don't even know how you become an intercessor or a prayer warrior If you don't understand your weakness, it's my understanding as a person who, I mean, I not only advocate prayer, but I'm endeavoring to walk into a type of prayer life that I've never had before and lead our church into it. I have found that I come face to face with my weakness. The more I fast, the more I pray, the more I come face Mm -hmm. to face with my weakness, but I come into more sober reality that God's greater than our weakness. And that's what causes me to cry out in prayer. And this positive confession idea is really, to me, it's all about the strong and the weak. Mm Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. To be strong, you have to say these things. Yeah. Otherwise, you're weak. And to be weak is terrible. And I'll park it here and, and move on. But I think it's this type of thinking that leads to horrible theology. I call it, one of them is called the win-lose theology. Mm-hmm. So it's like the football player. It's like Russell Wilson, God bless you. I'm sure you're watching. Uh, it's like <laughs> Russell Wilson from the Seahawks will be like, you know, I just want to praise God for this win. You know, he gave us the victory. Okay, that sounds great, right? But the idea is like, okay, well, what did he give to your opponent? Right. This is a football game. Ladies and gentlemen, it's a football game. <laughs> it's a football game. It has nothing to do with the kingdom. Obviously, somebody's making a lot of money, and we can talk about you know, mm-hmm. the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Russell, just think about it. But, but the point is, is that win-lose theology. Okay? So it's like, God is for the winner. Well, what does that obviously mean? The devil's for the loser. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's strength and it's weakness. So, hey, God gave us the victory today. You know, we prayed and God gave us the victory. Well, if the other guy prayed, so God, so the so they just didn't pray enough? Do, do you see how it's like, you didn't have enough faith? It, start, it starts to imply things that mm-hmm. it may not directly say, but I call it the win-lose theology. Mm-hmm. You find it most in like sports or like people get yeah. up and they get like a Grammy and they're like, I just want to thank God for this, for giving me this Grammy. I'm like, your movie or your song was like everything but God. And now you're, th- I don't know what God you're thinking, 
You know, I thank yeah. God. I mean, I, you might as well like label him some other God. He's not the God of the Bible because he didn't lead you to do that, say that, or show that. I'm, I'm, I'm saying that like win-lose theology. I prayed and God gave me the victory. I prayed and God gave me the strength. Mm-hmm. God didn't care about football. Mm-hmm. You know, the better prayer would have been, Lord, help us all not to get hurt today. I mean, that, you know, yeah. win or yeah. lose. I mean, this is not what parents teach. Like, mm-hmm. hey, win or lose, let's just give it our best. Let's just go out and have fun. I mean, that's the that's better, you know, and God wants us to enjoy the company of each other. He wants us to love. He wants us to serve. He, wa- he I mean, he, he certainly wants us to um, have joy and we can have joy in playing basketball or football or whatever, but this idea like God gave me the victory, it subtly implies things about positive mm-hmm. confession. Well, if I just prayed, then I got the victory. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And it bleeds into spiritual warfare doctrine mm-hmm. too, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That, you know, uh to me, victory, this is what I think it would espouse. Victory is the absence of conflict. Mm-hmm. Right, victory is the absence of conflict, not the struggle through the conflict. Right. So if you even confess that you have conflict, or you're back and forth, you know, or you're like Paul would war with the enemy, like he literally had a thorn in his flesh, right? And he contended three times. The thorn in his flesh was defined as a messenger of Satan. He contended with the Lord three times. The Lord said, "My grace is sufficient." Didn't take it from him. I mean, that's an. I don't even have a theology for that. Right. I'm just saying that. The people that espouse these ideas don't realize that it's rooted in a in a theology like positive right. confession, hundred percent, or indirectly ha, ha, has a has a root system uh, there. And so when I hear Joel Osteen say things like "just declare things over your life," um, I, I just don't think that's a mature way to help people as Christians deal with life, how right. they walk through all of life. It sounds nice um, on a stage. Uh, it makes for uh, a good clap offering when you say something like that, but it is not real Christianity. It's a feel good. It is a feel good. Just declare it over your life. Mm-hmm. You're saying that comment to a ton of people that maybe have lived disobediently and have never repented of any of the things that they have sown into their own life. Mm-hmm. You know, you've been a terrible employee or employer, and you just and you're and you're reaping all of the benefits of people not liking you, quitting on you, or or you not being you know g- going to this place in your own business or work environment where maybe you could because you're not repenting, you don't have a good attitude, and so what you're going to do is just declare over your life just positive confession. I'm going to get a raise. You're not going to get a raise. You're not going to get a promotion because you're not even kind. Yeah. Right. So, but this, anyways, everybody, you understand what I'm saying. But do you see how bad? And how how bad this is, how far this goes. All right, right. so hundred percent. Let's go. Let's go now into. We have the blessing of Abraham. I, I you have to bring up two things. We have the blessing of Abraham and seed time and harvest mm-hmm. because these again are part of the whole idea of material mm-hmm. blessing. Mm-hmm. Blessing is financial prosperity. Material blessing and it, it bleeds into materialism, but the blessing of Abraham is something that you hear a lot from these faith teachers mm-hmm. now. Trevor, I want you to take it from here, but whether it's the blessing of Abraham or seed time and harvest, financial prosperity, financial blessing, materialism, that's really defined as blessing, correct? Yes, yes, it's all materialism. Blessing and materialistic blessings are the same thing. Mm. You know, like we think blessing is broader and deeper um, than just that. Do we believe that God can bless materially? Absolutely, he has, he entrusts us, and through that, he has asked us to then have an open hand with the material things he gives us, mm-hmm. to not hold on to them as idols or with greed or with any other motive that isn't uh, selflessness. But 
but yeah, there's this there's this pressure of this uh, the the recipro- the reciprocity that that um, that's a big word reciprocity. Mm. Yeah, I just like that. yeah. I just you know I just needed to say it because okay. we're it's just one of the things I feel like. Anyway, yeah. uh, but you we know, just we upgraded we, the podcast just, right yeah, there. Reciprocity. reciprocity. Actually, I'm starting oh. a new power podcast called Reciprocity, and I'm talking about sowing seeds. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> sowing seeds into uh, my book called "You're Not That Important." It'll come back to you. Um, God's bigger than you. It's, yeah, he's bigger than you. He's he's better than you. Smarter than you. He's smarter than you. More important than you. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <got it>. yeah. <laughs> First chapter. You're the worst. Um, no, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. You're great. I apologize. Positive confession. We got. Watch, I got a positive. Our next. Something. Our next podcast. Pastor Trevor won't be here. There'll just be. There'll just be empty. There'll just be a picture of Pastor Trevor. Just be, you're, yeah. Oh my god. I'll yeah. Have, I'll have Josiah with a picture of Trevor on his yeah. face. Oh my gosh. Yeah. He's better. He's better just standing there, not saying anything, than saying anything. No, no, all. no. It'll be a picture of you, and then literally a bubble that says "Amen." Amen. That's it. <laughs> and we'll have the camera every time I say something good. We'll have the camera show you, and it'll and just say, say "Amen." Literally say the the same thing every single time. <laughs> it's so good, but this this theology of reciprocity, where we seed, we will re, we will have yeah. a return on it. And do I believe? I believe that to some degree, but I don't give. Going okay, give well I'm get. gonna yeah, I'm gonna give to get. I'm gonna write down. I gave hundred dollars, so tenfold. Okay, what's that? I'm gonna do the math, and I'm waiting on it. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm calculating. Like I just believe God is unbelievably generous with His creation. Mm-hmm. And he constantly gives of himself when he doesn't need to. Mm-hmm. He gave himself. He's a generous God. I want to mimic his generosity mm-hmm. because he's worthy of it. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's this there's this this thing that that seeps into a lot of churches. I've been to a lot of churches that use this seed reciprocity thinking, the blessing of Abraham, to help people be able to give. Mm-hmm. It's a motivator. It's this like, it's that that five minute message in the middle of their service on why they should give. Yep. And um, when, when I, you know, I've heard heard places where they talk about giving and they, they either talk about it like that or they talk about it like a tax. Mm-hmm. You're like, hey, thanks for supporting the ministry. And it's like, no guys, it's a, it's, it's to worship God, mm-hmm. you know, and trust him with your life because yeah. that's what he can do and that's what he always has done. So anyway, I'm getting a little bit off, but they 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 talk about this the only material blessings and we need to manifest those. And instead of like God gives grace for those persistently walking through um uh, difficulty. You know, Paul says in Philippians 4, he says, I've learned the the ability to be content with riches and with nothing, to be mm-hmm. to be fed and to be hungry. There's there is a place to learn contentness, and it does not say anything about the character of God on whether he loves you more or not, or whether he trusts you more or not, or wants to bless you more or not. We can be content mm-hmm. knowing that he's at work and we are and 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 we're thankful he is because we can't do everything he can do. And so um, they they want to, yeah. So anyway, yeah, yeah. I'll, I'll let you talk that from there. No, when I think about, again, we can talk about the blessing of Abraham as a doctrine or seed time and harvest as a doctrine. Right. And so many people that could watch this or listen would say, well, I don't go to a church that believes that or teaches that. Right. In, in fullness of principle, maybe but it bleeds into a lot of the church. And that's actually why we're talking about it. We're mm-hmm. not talking about, because most of the people that are gonna watch or li- watch this or listen to it are not going to be going to a Word of Faith church. I mean, may- right. maybe you'll look this up and you'll find it. But th- this has to be 
discerned, okay? So for example, what is the blessing of Abraham doctrine? Galatians 3.14 says this, in order that in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles so that we would receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. I have heard prosperity preachers, word of faith preachers quote this, and they say, we have the blessing of Abraham through faith in Christ. And then they say, well, what is the blessing of Abraham? Well, you go to uh, Genesis chapter 12 in verse 1 and 2, God calls Abraham to go out into a, 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 a place that he knows not, and the Lord says, I will bless you. Well, how does he bless him? And you look in Genesis 24, 34, and part of the blessing that Abraham receives is he will be greatly blessed and become rich, have lots of flocks and herds and silver and gold. And so they'll actually quote verses like this, if I have the blessing of Abraham, Abraham acquired wealth, God gave him wealth. And they might tack on, you know, wealth for the kingdom. They might tack on wealth to increase us so that he might increase many. They might say stuff like that. But this is what leads people like Creflo Dollar, like Jesse Duplantis, like Kenneth Copeland, like these different people and everyone under them to say, we're going to take an offering so that I can get a $10 million jet so that I don't have to fly first class with all of the rest of the peasants on board because Let's just face it, I'm better than them, and what I do is more important than them. And so uh, the Apostle Paul, who is the greatest apostle that we know of on the planet, or one of the greatest apostles, one of the greatest servants of God, made tents with his own hands because he didn't want to receive offerings from new believers Mm -hmm. because he told them, I would rather be your father and provide for you than take something from you. Mm -hmm. This is what he told the Corinthians. He actually knew that if he didn't make tents with his own hands, that they might somehow lose their faith in Christ, and he was not willing to subject them to some kind of idea that might undermine the gospel. Mm -hmm. That is a true example of a man of God or, or could be a woman of God that does things the right way. Now, I'm, I don't have a spirit of poverty. I don't think people need to, I think that could be the opposite of this is that people go around thinking that if you're gonna serve God, you need to be poor. Yes, yeah, right. sometimes people think like for me, I receive an income based on the generosity, the tithes and the offerings and the worship of God's people. And this is a biblical model. Some people might have a problem with that. Mm -hmm. I am uncomfortable with it to a degree, but I don't think that I need to be poor. So pay me just enough so that my family can eat. No, I think people can pay me what a median income is for this area based on what I do. I think that's fairness. And I think for me, before I was deriving my income from the gospel or the vocational ministry, I had no problem supporting my pastor because I knew that if we're going to have this and teaching of the word and the furthering of the gospel in a place with a people, I knew it was going to require funds. I knew mm-hmm. I knew it would. It doesn't mean that it takes money to do everything the gospel mm-hmm. calls us to do or the, the word of God says to do, but it does mean that this is a biblical model and there is a sense of... Um, I would say there's a sense of fairness to all of that and and a biblical uh, a way of doing this. But they go so far. Let's take an offering for my jet. Um, Jesse Duplantis is one of the faith teachers. He he brags about the stuff that he has, the Rolls Royce that he has. I mean, this is just arrogance, and people are going to give an account for this. Mm-hmm. I don't care what car you have. You do not have to brag about it. I mean, that's part of the issue uh, here. And so sure. seed time and harvest is a teaching that basically goes like this. If you have a need, sow a seed. And it's sort of this idea that like, if you give, God's going to bless you because you give. But the underlining issue is that you give to me. Mm-hmm. And that's what you hear on these telethons, these marathons, these online 
TV prophets or TV pastors who are trying to get in offerings. It just doesn't feel honest. It doesn't feel real. It's not a world that most of us live in. If you want us to support your ministry or you want us to support the church, show us what the Bible says, be honest about it, be humble about it, but don't try to trick people into giving their money and tell them how blessed, delivered, or how their season and miracle and breakthrough is gonna come. I've sat through people saying these kinds of things and I've got up and walked out. I went to a I went to a meeting with a, a guy named Bob Larson, and I don't know the validity of this guy, but I don't know if you were there or not. But anyways, he had a deliverance ministry. And when I brought a bunch of people because we heard he was in Bellevue, he'd been a deliverance minister for like 30 years. He was on the radio. And so we went. I didn't know who he was, but I was invited and I invited other people. It was in this hotel, a large room at a really nice hotel. I'd never been to a conference in a really nice hotel before. So I'm just telling you the truth here. We sat through it. And they're literally going to pray for people that are demonized in this really nice hotel. And I'm like, okay, well, this will be interesting. I know, you know, maybe I shouldn't have gone, but they went through the offering time. And it was like 30 minutes. They brought up three people that were like from the last town who gave an offering of whatever they gave. And as a result of it, they wrote down a name of somebody that needed deliverance from demons. And they testified after giving this seed and participating in this meeting with Bob Larson. Uh, my niece, cousin, grandmother was delivered of a demon or whatever it was, and everybody clapped and all that stuff. Well, after listening to that for, and I'm not exaggerating, almost 30 minutes, our entire row that I brought were like, let's get the heck out of here. (laughs) Yeah. Because the pressure was so thick before they took an offering that, and they were going to have everybody walk up and give an offering. And this wasn't the first time I'd been in an environment where they're going to have literally every row clear out and go up front and give an offering into these baskets, obviously, as these people are watching. Mm -hmm. And so my entire row, I mean, we're old school, hardcore people. And we're like, let's go. We get up and we start walking out, which was the strangest thing to do in the middle of a deliverance (laughs) meeting, because everybody probably thought we were demonized. I kind of, (laughs) you know what I wanted to do? I said, I should have done this. I was just too young to think about it. And my wit wasn't turned on full blast at that time. I'm lot. Anyways, but we, as we were walking out, I should have been like, ah, you know, yeah, I wanted to, yeah, yeah. I, I, Twitching something. Listen, you know? if this offends you, I'm so sorry, but I just, <laughs> I was offended by the way they were receiving the offering. Yeah. I was, I wanted to tell everybody, don't give to this ministry. Like this is what some people call a charlatan. Now, I don't know Bob Larson or whatever, or God knows, but like, I can tell you, I left. And if you're around anything like this, leave. Mm-hmm. Does God give us the ability to create wealth for his kingdom? Some people, absolutely. But what we know for sure, the Bible teaches that God is our provider, right? So God is our source. If you lose your job, you've never lost your source. Mm-hmm. If you lose your source of income and you don't know what, where you're mm-hmm. gonna get what's next, the Bible teaches God's our provider. So the scriptures teach that God will cause us mm-hmm. to always be provided for. Right. But these guys take it so far. Like this is like this is all, all about having not just the American dream, but the kingdom dream. This is about having the largest house and this and that. And even I if mean, they don't even say, his streets are paved with gold. Oh yeah. I mean, so it just, what about and, the and, tile in your bathroom? And can we also say that they believe Jesus was rich? And I've even heard mm-hmm. people say mm-hmm. things like, well, Jesus, I mean, Judas was the person that was in charge of the money box. A traveling ministry doesn't have a money box unless they're rich. But Jesus said, the son of man has no place to lay his head. Right. He has no house. He has no home. He has no place to lay his head. Do you also want to travel with me? I mean, there were times where they had nothing to eat. Remember five loaves and two fish? And he had to create, he had to create, a, it was a creative miracle. Five loaves and two fish was enough to 
feed thousands of people. And Philip even said to Jesus, where will we get the money to buy bread all mm-hmm. for all of these people? Even 800 denarii is not enough for everyone to have a little bit. And I think the reason he said 800 or 200, whatever he said, was because that's all they had. <laughs> yeah. Okay. They had enough money to make it. And as they went from town to town, people actually took care of them. And that's what Jesus even told them. He's like, don't take a tunic and a money bag. Don't take a second coat with you. Like, as you're received, go into that house, find the people of peace and take what you, whatever you're given, eat whatever's put before you. Jesus actually modeled a way of life and taught a way of life where people would be content in whatever right. is provided for them. Right. It's not a spirit of poverty. Some have more, some have less, but this is heretical is what mm-hmm. this is. Seed oh, time and harvest. And it absolutely undermines... Uh, the idea of being content with provision that God gives and causes us to think material blessing is blessing. No, the blessing of God is so, so much more deep and rich and meaningful than that. The forgiveness of our sins, Mm -hmm. the greatest miracle is a born again heart, a brand new, Mm -hmm. like you're brand new, you have a new nature, the Holy Mm -hmm. Spirit lives in you. I mean, it just derails the truth of the gospel, um, the true blessing that God gives, and it's, it's horrendous. Now, the last one, Okay, the last one. Now, there are more doctrines, but the final one is all sickness is a lack of faith. Mm -hmm. Okay, this is just the way that I'm saying it. And you'll find this verse, 3 John verse 2, which hardly anybody ever reads or remembers. John says, Beloved, I pray that in all respects you may prosper and be in good health just as your soul prospers. Now, if you read this in context and you understand this is actually part of John's greeting, all he really is saying is that I really desire for you to be well. We pray that you are in good health, that you're in good spirits, and that you're continuing to grow and increase. He is not talking about material possessions. He is not no. talking about those that are in the first century becoming rich. He does not mean anything like it's that. It's a greeting. It's like, hey, hope you're well. Yeah, How you doing? I want, <laughs> you know? Could it be that simple, Trevor? <laughs> okay. <laughs> we need to read the Bible in context. Yeah. We need to understand what the Bible means. And so is all sickness a lack of faith? Well, uh, I was going to make a joke. I'm no, not going to no, make give, a joke. Give us, now give us, give us a little bit of lay of the land. What, what do we say? Yeah, here? sickness. Well, the, si- sickness is born of the enemy. Yeah. 100%. The fall, uh, the fall introduced sickness into the world. Mm-hmm. Uh, we believe sickness, uh, the Omicron variant, all of it is not of the Lord. All of it. Mm-hmm. Uh, we believe that every anytime someone is sick, it's not because they've done something wrong. Uh, but we do believe that sin can beget sickness mm-hmm. sometimes, but not always. Uh, most of the time, it's just because we're in a fallen nature and we're susceptible to sickness. Mm-hmm. Just to be really clear of sickness, so we know what we're talking about and how we think of sickness, how Pentecostals think of sickness. Um, and we believe that when we seek God for a miracle, it one of the best things is faith to pray for or pray with. Mm-hmm. And um, there's not like a faith-o-meter that we carry like on our chest. It's that's not like, a psychological certainty. Right, right. I think I can, I think I can, I think. Yeah, I, I think if Faith you, means that you pray. Right. That's seen in prayer. If you, yeah, if you have a, a faith enough just to ask God yep. amidst all the doubt you have, like you could look at the dire circumstance and have no model, like you're in a terminal s- situation that you're like, oh my, this is not gonna go well for me. There's nothing that shows me that it's gonna go well. All the things are against me. You're gonna be 
there's going to be a tension at minimum inside of you that tries to suck all the faith out of you. But if you have faith enough in that moment, just say, God, meet me here, heal me, mm -hmm. do what you can do. Then you have faith enough to be healed. You know, like, right. like, um, so, so all sickness, if you continue to have sickness after you pray, it means the problem that happened in that equation is that you don't have enough faith. Mm -hmm. You didn't have enough faith. It's not because God, uh, it's, it's, it's because you somehow didn't find, you, you didn't figure out the code to God to unlock his blessing mm -hmm. of, of, of healing. And so um, it, 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 the onus is then on you. I know someone who went to a meeting and they were, um, and they were being prayed for. They had um, uh, pain in their body, massive um, stuff go on and, 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 and they they dealt with it for years and years and years, and they're being prayed for. And basically, they started trying to cast out demons at some point because of uh, and and start being blamed for the lack of faith that they had in that moment. And it's like, no, they're they are being they're inflicted by sickness in their body that is a result of fallen nature that Jesus then gave his life on the cross for us to be to walk in new life. But we also are in that now and not yet. And your Jesus body's decaying. Your I mean, body is yeah. decaying. You will. Everyone's gonna die. Can we say that again for every viewer here? Everybody's going to die. <laughs> so Physically there's, speaking, there's gonna be a day why where yeah. the greatest miracle is to be born again. Right, and the last enemy is death. Yep. You know, and so when when Jesus is, it culminates all things in 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 the end in the end of time and he, new heavens and new earth and there's no sickness and no sorrow and there's life there's there's there is everything we actually long for mm. uh, as people and death is eradicated forever in that place mm -hmm. and so we're still in that now and not yet we experience the goodness and the, the what he can do what he does do and how he can do it immediately and sometimes we people pray for months or even years and then they're healed we don't know we we don't have the formula to that to create a formula would just be wrong right. Uh, we just say, God, we trust you. We trust that you've you think good towards your people. We trust that even in we're staying in a place of physical suffering, that you're going to give us grace for that season. That you are doing it um, uh, for for a righteous purpose and right. and uh, for the benefit of your kingdom. Right. And we don't we don't know why. We may never know why. That's okay, that's that's for God. Right. But for us, we know that. You know, even if we have enough faith enough to pray, we have enough faith. And they would say that in this in this whole thing right here would be that it's always on you if something doesn't go your way right. that God can provide. You just have to have faith. Yeah. yeah it's not enough. So I've seen this particular teaching manifest in so many, so many harmful ways. And so to be clear, if you pray to get healed of your sickness, disease, or ailment, and you don't get healed, no, it is not always because you don't have enough faith. Because that idea actually means that you have like a bottle that needs to be filled up to 100% of faith. And if you sort of power up mm -hmm. all the way, like some of these faith teachers, well, then it'll spill over. Friends, faith means to trust in God. Faith means to depend upon, rely upon, and lean in to our heavenly father. Faith is manifested when we pray. 
a person manifests a lack of faith when they don't come to God Mm -hmm. or they don't pray or we don't give our anxieties over to him or we don't give our stresses, our cares, our burdens, our sicknesses. And so many of us have to realize that sickness is a part of the fall, sickness is a part of the broken planet, and sickness is swallowed up in the life, death, and the life, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, if not now, in the age to come. So we live in the tension of the now and the not yet. We pray, some get healed, some don't, but they do eternally. So here's the way that I always say it. God heals supernaturally, God heals medically, and God heals eternally. That's the reality. My grandmother uh, was diagnosed with uh, cancer twice in her life. She had her leg amputated two times all the way up uh, just below her hip. She believed God, a bunch of full bus- full gospel businessmen's association people, she used to go to these meetings, people would say, sister, God's going to grow your leg back. She believed that. Uh, in her 80s, she passed away, went to be with the Lord, never grew a leg back, but now she has her leg back. Mm-hmm. See, what we do is we put such an emphasis on the temporary, mm-hmm. and yeah, that works well for to line the pockets of some of these pastors and preachers because they're actually creating this false teaching around the need for them um, to have a, to make a living or mm. beyond a living. But they're not teaching biblical doctrine even when it's tense and it doesn't fit into a pretty box. We live in a broken planet, but praise be to God that Jesus not only redeemed us, um, in, as Peter would say, with things like silver and gold that would be natural or in this life, but he redeemed us by his precious blood, which is eternal. The, the, the life, the blood of the eternal son of God was spilt so that we could have eternal life in his name. He's redeemed us to an eternity. So mm-hmm. we don't look at things temporarily. We, don't, we look at things with an eternal perspective. And Paul even says, though outwardly we are decaying, inwardly we are being renewed day by day. Mm-hmm. So as Pentecostal Christians, yeah, we believe God heals. That's why we pray for the sick. So if I'm sick, pray for me. Yeah. But it's you, people say to me, well, why do people not get healed? I don't know. Mm-hmm. Deuteronomy 29, 29 says that the secret things belong to the Lord. Uh, and there are things that he discloses to the sons of men. There's some things we know and some things we don't know. I don't know, but I do know that healing is not just for temporary seasons. Healing is for eternity, and God has done that. God has eternally secured what we might call healing for the rest of our existence, which is eternal if you believe in Jesus. So it's a beautiful thing. And 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 yes, I hate sickness and disease, and no, God's not the giver of it, and, and God does heal. But this is just so erroneous. This is so terrible. This hurts so many people because they bank on the words of these people that put mm-hmm. a guarantee on the box that if you just get enough faith, um, then somehow that you can pull the lever and you're going to get all all the, again, the blessings of God, which would include being sick. You know, and some of these faith teachers have died and they never disclose why they die. I don't know if you mm. knew that or not. No, I didn't know that. Yeah, they don't confess that they had the flu or they ever got oh. sick. They'll say, in 30 years, I never got sick. And many of them have lied. Yeah. Because they have to hold to their doctrine. And so they'll go out of the public spotlight for 30 days or 45 days. Or who, you know, I know Kenneth Hagen, Hagen collapsed uh, at his home and they don't talk about why exactly. But once again, you get old, your internal organs shut down, we're going to die. Mm-hmm. But the, the Bible says, though we shall live. Well, you just talk about one more thing on that because I think one of the other verses they use is, is by his stripes, we're we, healed. Yeah, it's a guaranteed thing. Yeah. 
But you just, how do you see that verse? Yeah, so so Isaiah 53, 1 Peter, I think it's chapter 5, mm-hmm. healing in the atonement. They guarantee healing in the atonement. This is the way that they teach. Jesus paid for us to be healthy, wealthy, happy. They don't say it that way, but that's what they mean. And so this means by his stripes, we have been made whole. Certainly, it's through the atonement and based on the resurrection that as we pray through a relationship with God in the power of the Holy Spirit, we experience m- many things that His Spirit does. And clearly, 1 Corinthians 12 says the gifts of the Spirit, uh, one of those is the gifts of healing. And so we we do receive that through the atonement. John Wimber would teach through the atonement. A lot of the faith teachers would teach in the atonement, meaning that it's a guarantee. Healing right. is a guarantee. I don't believe that. It's through the atonement. Right. Supernaturally, medically, God created our hands, our mind, and our feet. So doctors that are helping us in this world, um, we're all created of God. So we yeah. can credit God for that and thank Him for that. I'm not saying everything, every uh, pill is of God. I'm not saying every uh, medical uh, ideology or thought today is of God, but I'm saying I'm thankful that God heals supernaturally, medically, mm-hmm. and eternally. So by His stripes, we have been made whole eternally. That's the way I see that. It's through the atonement of Jesus that we are fully, completely restored. And when you put all of these scriptures together, you find that outwardly we are decaying, but inwardly we're being renewed day by day. Paul talked about his physical body as a tent Mm -hmm. that will be set aside and he will receive a glorified body, 1 Corinthians 15. I'm looking for a spirit-infused titanium body. (laughs) Do you understand what I'm saying? I am, I'm looking for, like, I'm 42, my knees creak, okay? (laughs) And it's not a lack of faith, people. It's that when I go to play basketball, I'm not what I once was. It's okay? because you're not a vegan. That's what I've. That's what. That's the teaching. It, look, that's another word. Okay, I live we'll in the household of vegans. <laughs> oh, that's right. I forgot. That wasn't. I just. I repent right now. Your whole family is living in the organic zone. All right, that's true. So if food that's goes true. off the shelves, I'm pretty sure the Loya fam, like your wife, will be outside. I can't even Erica, bring it we love you, but you'll be outside, <laughs> and gardens will manifest. Okay, yeah. so here's the deal. I'm. Look. I do, like, uh, somebody in my family, here's another thing about sickness, somebody in my family, they got mad, and they kicked the dresser, all right? You kick the dresser, you break your foot, okay? (laughs) That's what happened. And now we're asking, and you know who you are, now we're asking God, and now we're asking God to heal the foot. What I loved about this family member is they took ownership. Mm -hmm. I did this, Okay but I'm asking God by his grace to fix this. And you know what's amazing? He did. Mm. He did. He, he, he wrote the wrong and that person owned it. And there was no false reality to it. It was like, I remember even when I was with this person and they were asking someone to pray and they were just like, I was really stupid. I can't believe I did this. I, I shouldn't have done this. I mean, it was just amazing. You know, and God, God healed that. The doctor said, you need to get surgery. And we prayed multiple times, received prayer, and God healed it. And they didn't need oh, surgery. And it's it's perfectly fine today. It's amazing, you know? So like, I believe in the power of God. I believe in the healing power of God. My, my, simp- my simple thing is this. I don't need to put a guarantee on the box. We just come to God. Mm-hmm. Faith is manifested in the fact that you prayed. That's, what, that's amazing, yeah. you, that you prayed. You showed faith and trust in God. I came to God. So yeah. listen, I, we've talked about a lot of stuff. I could go through right. scripture and how... I'm not saying sicknesses of God at all. We, mm. we, in fact, we could do a whole podcast on healing, oh, health, sickness, disease, all that kind of stuff. I think we should. 
but let's break it down. There's not only bad doctrine, but where there's bad doctrine, there's bad fruit that comes as a result of this teaching. Superficial Christianity, bad theology, blessing is always materialism, not other things that scripture clearly conveys. And this causes people obviously to fall away from the faith. We've talked about deconstructionism. And I think whenever you portray God in a light that scripture does not, what you do is you set people up for a fall because they're going to believe not in God, but in the version of God that you portrayed. And when he doesn't come through the way that you have shown him to be, not just the scripture, but the way you have talked about him, when they don't get the thing that they're praying for, believing for, expecting for, because they're not, we're not practicing biblical Christianity, then if God isn't, you know, God doesn't love me, God isn't real, God doesn't like me, God doesn't hear me, God doesn't care, it creates a disillusionment leading to deconstructionism or a person just saying, I don't want to follow God. I don't believe in this faith anymore because they never had a biblical faith to yeah. begin with. Or they go to their pastor and they're not even listened to because all the, they're looking for biblical counseling and the pastor's just going, well, that's all negative talk. Stop it. And they're not even being considered. And you hear a lot of those stories. You're not being considered in the pain and the turmoil and the the traumatic things and the things that the baggage that we carry through our life. And we're just trying to like work it out. Mm. We sit with our pastor and you say, Lord, like, God, like, Lord, help me mm-hmm. use your, this pastor. I trust this man or this woman to, 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 to bring biblical advice to my situations in my right. heart. And they're not listened to because they just, hey, you know, hey, that's negative talk. Hey, go have faith and believe. Right. Hey, you know, oh, you're, you're dealing with that. It's because there's demons that, and they, they, take these things. It's wild. And I, there's so many stories of the deconstructive used to be believer that have those types of encounters, which is super sad. And I have a heart. Like if you're, I mean, if anybody's like listening here today and like, and let me just say, like, I, first of all, I don't want anybody to deconstruct their faith in a negative sense. We've, we've, we've already talked about how they're, you know, yeah, analyzing totally. their faith, asking questions. That's a positive thing. But the fact is, is that, um, we're talking about this today because this it has a negative impact on people. And I don't just want to be a watchdog. I'm not interested in digging up uh, the roots of the Word of Faith movement just so that we can judge it when so many others already have. The point is, is that being in a Pentecostal charismatic church, it's easy to just write it all off. Mm-hmm. When healing doesn't happen, when a prophetic word doesn't come true, when gifts look strange or people that are actually exercising gifts do things that are weird in the name of God, it's e- the easiest thing is to just to write it all off. Mm-hmm. And, the, and to me, I have a jealousy for us to reclaim and restore biblical Christianity. And unfortunately, people that make their way into the very camp that I'm a part of, um, they're ruining it for so many people and hurting so many wasting time, money. Um, and this is just honestly, I mean, I'm I'm concerned for people that teach and believe this type of stuff that they even know the Lord. I mean, mm-hmm. how can you believe this? How can you teach this? How can you lead other people into this and really know the God of the Bible? How can you know the Bible? I mean, you just don't have to be a theologian to see through a lot of the holes mm-hmm. That this conveys. And so if you've been affected by this, if you've taught this, if you have any roots into this, friends, let's just all commit to reading, studying the scriptures and glorifying the God of the Bible, not self. Jesus is the center. God is to be glorified. We're thankful that he loves us, that he calls us his children. We know he provides for us. We know that he's a God who heals. We know he's a God that helps. 
and provides and walks with and talks to and redeems. But that does not mean that we're at the center and everything that we want in this life. And by the way, the systems and the structures of the world are not designed by the king and his kingdom. And so it is those things often that we are chasing, not the kingdom itself. Mm -hmm. And so we want to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And then whatever it is that we need in this life, it says he will add that to us. Mm -hmm. But our focus has to be him first. And this is where teachings like this cause us to derail our faith and focus on self or worse. And so it's important that we discern it, that we distinguish ourselves from it. And when we talk about the things in the future, Trevor, like we're going to talk about prophecy, and so many prophets and prophecies are centered on self or their ideology or their political ideology or whatever, and that's how they get off because some of this stuff bleeds into that. Mm -hmm. Well, of course, God wants me to feel comfortable. Of course, God wants me to everything to be convenient. Of course, God wants me to be able to sit back and just have this abundant life. Mm -hmm. And so, I mean, but it just doesn't... Yeah, but what? how do you define abundant life? How do you define blessing? Mm -hmm. It kind of roots back to this. And so people prophesy according to their doctrine. They prophesy according to their ideology oftentimes, and it's how we get off. So when we talk about that in the future, which we're going to, we're going to talk about prophets and prophecy and words that people are giving and all of that, we're, this will all fit together. Mm -hmm. And I think today, the best thing that we could pray for, and, and we will, is just discernment. And so mm -hmm. I'm going to ask you to pray that God would give us discernment, not just a judgmental attitude towards people and places, but just to judge ourselves. Right, yeah. And to to root out these things wherever they might be so that we can really glorify God, just have discernment. So pray for us today, and then we'll close. Yeah, Lord, help us. God, help us be people who uh, humbly seek out your word, seek out your ways, seek out pleasing you with our life. God, you say that we would be a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable. And that's what we want to be. That's that's our aim in this podcast. That's our aim as a disciple of Jesus. And so I pray for discernment so that we could simply and uh, purely obey you, that we could purely yes. seek the God of the Bible um, and that we could seek the Jesus who truly is better than we can ever imagine or put words to. God, you are great and you're mighty. And we pray for your spirit to come and convict us, shape us, comfort us, lead us, um, and help us do and participate in healthy and righteous and grace-filled communities and ministry, Father. Mm -hmm. And so give us discernment, give us eyes to see, hearts tender for your word and your word alone, that how Timothy says it, or to Timothy, it says that we, we, we'd not be people who just follow what our itching ears um, want us to hear, but we'd be people who want to hear truth. Mm. So we love you, Jesus. We trust you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thanks for joining us today on Conversations with Ben Dixon. Looking forward to many more in the future. Again, please do download, download watch, subscribe, and share. God bless you. See you next time.